0: Casey Confidential. Casey's Confidential.
1: Kansas City's best. Welcome to Kansas City Confidential, a podcast where we hear from the people behind Kansas City's local restaurants, businesses, and personalities. Each guest shares their personal stories of life in Kansas City and discuss the brands they have built. I'm your host, Sari, and today's guest is Marshall Vantile, one of the owners and head brewer of Rochester Brewing and Roasting Company located in West Crossroads. He started brewing beer as a hobby while working full-time as a structural engineer and fell in love with the art and science of the brewing process. Meanwhile, his longtime friend, Philip Enlow had been perfecting his roasting of coffee beans as a hobby outside of his career as a music teacher. Eventually, the two of them teamed up with a number of other supporters, and Rochester Brewing and Roasting Company was born, becoming the first and only company in Kansas City to both roast coffee and brew beer in-house. Here to tell us all about this one-of-a-kind concept is Marshall. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to to hear about it. I've been to Rochester, uh, it was a while ago, but I was really interested in the concept of having both coffee and beer. So can you tell me a little bit of how you got started brewing your own beer and just that process?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like many people, I got into craft beer pretty early on in my uh, time of age when I was able to actually start drinking. I got into craft beer pretty early in college. It kind of became a group of friends going out and kind of uh, experiencing new beer constantly, and got really interested in just the consuming side initially. And uh, as my interest grew in it, um, one of my friends, David Bullcock, who's actually a part of this business as well, uh, he was home brewing as a hobby at that point, and he was just brewing on on a little patio outside of his apartment and a really kind of a rink-a-dink setup and making, you know, drinkable beer, but not much more than that. But I was randomly at his apartment one time when he was doing it and I kind of sat in with him. It's was like, oh, this is interesting, but I live in this loft downtown. I have absolutely no place to do anything like this. Maybe someday I'll get into this. Fast forward a couple of years later, I'm living with my other good friend Philip Enlow, who is my business partner and kind of the other person that kind of formed this business with me. We're living in a house together, uh, trying to save some money. And he's a teacher at this time, and he has summers off. And you know, it seems like every week he's coming home with a new thing. I'm gonna do this this week because I have all this free time. And one day he comes home with a, a brew kit, you know, just kind of a, a pre-made recipe for home brewing. He's like, I'm gonna brew beer. It's like, you know, I've done this once. a long time ago. And it interested me, I'd love to do it with you. We did it. It kind of got its claws into me. I became addicted. I started brewing a lot and just kind of fell in love with the art and science. When you break it down, it's really a whole bunch of math and science. And that really interests me. And my background's in engineering. I love math. I love being able to define things by numbers and really can do that with brewing. And it just really interests me. And I dove head first into it. It wasn't as much for Philip. He was also roasting coffee coffee as a hobby. So he kind of went back to that. And I just threw myself into brewing and and didn't look back. I uh, did it as a hobby for a long time and was eventually able to turn it into what it is today.
1: Yeah. And when you were, you know, enjoying the process, figuring out how much you liked it, figuring out what beer you liked that you were making at the time, were you thinking I have something here and I can turn it into a business or is it really more for your own personal enjoyment for you and friends to share?
0: Uh, early on, absolutely not. That first beer that Philip and I brewed was horrible. (laughs) We, uh, yeah, it was bad. And the next couple weren't a whole lot better, but, uh, You know, when I when I do something, I try to do it all the way. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can homebrew. There's a lot of pre-built kits. There's, you know, there's what's called extract brewing. There's all-grain brewing. And like when I decided I wanted to do this, I went all in. I wasn't going to kind of just do the simple version. I wanted to know what I was doing. I wanted to know the science. I wanted to do it the way that people have been doing it for centuries. And so I dove into that math and science side, as I said. And as I was able to do that, I and watching YouTube, reading books, and just constantly researching, just becoming kind of addicted to the, the idea of getting better. Um, I was able to kind of hone my craft. And really, where it kind of turned a corner to becoming something viable was I started liking my beer enough and my friends. <laughs> Although always if it's someone, when you share a homebrew, everybody compliments you, no matter how bad it is. But when I genuinely thought other people were enjoying it as well, I started submitting to competitions. Homebrew competitions are a big thing, and uh, while it's fun to compete, and I do have kind of a competitive edge in me, and I enjoyed kind of getting that aspect through this hobby. Um, additionally, it was really important because there's these trained, you know, judges that have um, have literally trained their palate to to evaluate beers based on flavor, aroma, appearance, et cetera, et etc. Cetera. And they provide this feedback as part of the judgment thing. So even if your beer does poorly, they give you this really valuable information about why it's doing poorly, why maybe it doesn't belong in this category, why, you know, why maybe you aren't getting the things out of it that you were hoping to get. And that really, you know, getting that feedback from people that are more knowledgeable than yourself at that stage was really valuable. And so I did that quite a bit. And again, I had that competitive edge in me. So I I kind of threw myself into that once I kind of really got deep into the hobby. And there was a award called uh, the High Plains Brewer of the Year, which is basically, I believe, an eight state region. And, uh, you know, basically they accumulate points based on major competitions throughout the region. And I did pretty well one year without really even knowing what it was. And I was like, next year, I'm going to try to go for that award. And, you know, partly to justify, I'm actually good at this, and maybe I can pursue it as more than just a hobby. And I was able to win that award. So I was the top brewer in the AC region that year. And that was really awesome. And, And during that year, I was competing for it was actually the same time that Rochester came together. So part of me was thinking, oh, if I do this, maybe I'll get enough notoriety that uh, I can turn this into something, but it actually happened prior to actually winning that award, which was kind of funny, but you know, it was valuable to kind of focus on your craft so much that I'm not just doing this to make good beer. I'm I'm doing this to make beer that is of a high caliber to not just myself, but other people.
1: Yeah. And especially with craft beer, there's so many different kinds. There's your IPA sours. I mean, I'm sure like the list goes on and on. I love beer, but I'm not super knowledgeable in terms of the varieties. I sort of know what I like. I always like trying new things, but you know, how were you approaching that? Did you just go based off what beer you really liked or was there a certain flavor variety you were, you were looking for? How were you figuring out what kind of beer your craft beer was going to be?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there are two different phases. My homebrew phase and my professional phase, I guess. But homebrew, I started by just brewing what I wanted to drink. I think that's what most people do when they're getting into homebrewing. But when I kind of decided to kind of focus on this competition side and and try to gain notoriety through it, the way that, that that point structure is set up is actually you can only gain so many points per style. So to actually compete for that award that I was, you know, striving for, you had to brew a plethora of styles. And that was actually great. It made me brew things that I wouldn't have ever have brewed and kind of expanded my horizons um, to, to styles that I wouldn't have considered. And that was great. And I think we've kind of carried that over into Rochester. We, you know, we, we try not to focus on any one thing, you know, craft beer is driven by the IPA today, but... But we didn't want to just have a menu full of IPAs because a lot of beer drinkers out there who are going to come in and here just have no interest in the IPAs, you know, even though that's the big thing in craft beer, it's not, it's actually a pretty small group of when you just think of beer drinkers in general, um, not just craft beer drinkers. And so our focus was always to have a, a, a wide variety menu, something available for everybody, you know, have a, a light beer that's in essence, similar to those, those uh, you know, light beers that are out there that... That, you know, if someone comes in and only only ever drink macro beer, we at least have something that's going to be palatable to them. You know, have those big stouts, have IPAs, have sours, have just a wide variety, try to hit seasonal notes um, for different beers. That's very much been our, our mission. We try not to really peg ourselves into any particular style. We try to just have a wide variety of beers at all times.
1: Yeah. And how many beers does Rochester have available at a time?
0: Uh, it really depends on, you know, how well we're keeping up with demand. Um, right now, I think we have 10. Our goal is to always have 14, um, so we're a little bit behind our goal at this moment, but but generally in that ballpark, uh, 10 to 14 would be pretty normal. We try to have a cider on as well. Um, we always have a hard cider on, um, so that takes up one of our taps, but uh, that's generally the ballpark we shoot for.
1: When you and Philip were starting to talk about this idea, what – led you guys to take that jump of there is nowhere in Kansas City that you know is doing both of these things in-house coffee and beer so what led you guys to kind of taking that leap of faith to start this business
0: yeah you know that's an interesting question and kind of hard to say we were both in a way daydreaming about doing it ourselves you know initially you know, I was an engineer at the time and I was, you know, I, my job was, it was a really good job and I didn't hate it, but I was a little bit tired of staying behind a desk and I had this hobby that just challenged me more creatively and, and honestly you know even as an engineer you hear the word engineer and you assume you're doing math all day you're not and i was doing more math building my brew software and, and and uh developing recipes and stuff and so not only did it itch this little bit of creativeness that i have but it, it itched the math and science side more than my job was and so you know as things were kind of dragging along not getting fulfillment out of my desk job that i was hoping to you know this idea just kind of started creeping in well what if i can turn this hobby into something more Simultaneously, um, my very good friend, Philip, um, you know, he was a music teacher at the time and, and he was, you know, quickly approaching burnout, so to speak, you know, teaching's hard <laughs> and no doubt about that. And, and he was ready to do something different and he was loving this hobby of roasting coffee and he was daydreaming uh, simultaneously what would it look like for me to do this something that i'm getting more fulfilling out of than my current career and we had talked a little bit about oh what if these what if we kind of did this together and it really came to fruition you know we were still kind of daydreaming about doing it ourselves talking about yeah it kind of works together it came to fruition during a fourth of july party that philip threw and uh someone that's kind of loosely related not loosely literally related but through some different steps to his wife um was there and just perfect timing kind of thing uh we were talking to him and we're like oh we've we've talked about this idea of you know i brew beer he roast coffee we think they could pair well together um yada 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 and it was just the perfect time to talk to this individual because he had just started his own little small business investments company he wanted his new passion was investing in small businesses. And he's like, let's set up a time to talk about this. And it forced us to kind of take it more seriously because at that point, it was just all kind of fun and games. But as we kind of dug into it, it became very clear. It's such an obvious pairing in so many ways. You know, craft beer and craft coffee are on these very similar directories. They've been, the two industries have been dominated by large national brands for our lifetime. But slowly over the last decade or so, there's been more and more of a movement to local small batch craft made and coffee and beer a lot of times they share you know clientele you know people that want that craft beer are oftentimes into craft coffee and and vice versa and then just the business side made a ton of sense because if philip had done coffee by himself he would really only been profitable mostly in the morning most coffee shops close pretty early most breweries don't open in the morning they open in the afternoon and evening well what if we do these both in one building all of a sudden our our building is functioning for much more hours than if we were doing it by ourselves. And so as we just kind of worked through this, what was originally a daydream, then turned into a discussion that turned into a business plan. It just made so much more sense for them to be together than to be separate.
1: Yeah. And so when you guys decided to, okay, we're going forward with this, we're going to start this business. When it came to deciding where in Kansas City you were going to be located, how did you end up in the West Crossroads?
0: By chance. I mean, we were open to about anything, you know, once we, you know, again, it kind of became was an idea. We discussed it. The gentleman we discussed it with, his name's uh, Joe Nichols, who has been invaluable to us. And we wouldn't be here without him, obviously. You know, we had a meeting with him. We He said, I'm interested in this, put together a business plan. We put together a business plan. He took that out and found other people to to help back us financially. And uh, obviously, we're very grateful to all those people. And just suddenly, you know, we thought, oh, yeah, this is still a fun idea, even after the business plan it didn't necessarily feel real. We still have to find a lot of people that are willing to take a chance on us. And it happened very quickly, like two weeks later, Joe's like, all right, we got what you wanted. (laughs) And we're like, oh my goodness. Okay, well, let's start looking for places, I guess. And where do we wanna be? And the answer was, well, let's look around and find out. Philip and I went to Fort State High School together. We grew up uh, in the Independence area. Philip's still in the Independence area. I'm up north now um, near North Kansas City. So we thought, you know maybe one of those places, um, originally actually we said, let's avoid downtown. There's a lot downtown. Maybe we don't need to be downtown. And so we, we looked at some locations. We actually came really close to being in North Kansas City. We found a building we wanted. We thought we were on track to get it. And things just kind of fell apart in negotiation with the landlord. And so we went back and started looking at more places again. And uh, our realtor took, to, took us to a place that was kind of interesting in the crossroads area. And we looked at it. And I was like, yeah, hey, this is kind of interesting, but I'm not sure if it worked. And then she was like, there's also a building like one block over that she was renting at the time, our realtor was raining at the time she's like i'm looking to get rid of it pretty soon you guys want to look at it yeah sure let's walk over there and look at it and we walk in it's just this big empty warehouse and it just felt right like it you know it was just a place that felt like yeah it'd be really cool to kind of if we actually built this place out it'd be a cool place to just kind of hang out it was very industrial which was kind of a feel that we both really liked and it was just a blank slate it was four walls a ceiling and a floor that's all there was in there and so we we're like, man, we could do whatever we wanted in here. And it's more space than we need. Let, let's give it a shot. And so we we started going down that road. And really we we found the building more than we found the neighborhood to a degree. But after finding the building, we fell in love with the neighborhood and we realized we were dumb to try to avoid downtown. Like there it it, it was just it became obvious it'd be very cool to kind of be tied into what had already been happening. Obviously, downtown has been rejuvenated in, in so many ways in our lifetime. You know, As I said, we're local kids and downtown was not a place someone would open a business when we were in high school. And to see what it is now and to be able to add our, our story to it turned out to be something really special.
1: Yeah. And there is also an event space inside towards the back. So was that a concept that came later once you started putting the the space into place in terms of where everything was going? Or was that something that was always in the back of your head of what if we had this additional concept to our business?
0: So a little bit of both. So it was not part of the original business plan at all. Um, when we were looking at that place in North Kansas City that we came pretty close to, there was a little bit of extra space in it than we needed, and um, in my background in, in engineering again, I you know had a lot of access to AutoCAD and a lot of experience in it. So I was anytime we found a space, I was getting floor plans and just drawing up all kinds of mock layouts. And so I did that on that place when I thought that that was where we were gonna end up. And we had this extra space, and we're like, "Oh, what are we gonna do with it? And I was like, well, we could enclose it here and it could be an event room. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. We could have private parties there. I'm like, great, yeah, well, that would work. And then that place fell through. Um, and then we found the building we're in and it was so much larger than we thought we were gonna have. Like, It's 5,500 square feet. We were thinking now we'll start at 3,000 square feet. That's enough for, to get us going for what we need. Um, so it was larger than we needed which meant we we're going to be paying more rent than we <laughs> were anticipating. And, uh, and bill out fees would be more than we were anticipating. And so our initial thought was, how do we get this off our books? Can we sublease some of this? Like we don't need this much space. And so that was what we explored first. And actually, you know, again, the, our, the realtor we were working with actually was leasing the space at the time. And so she was excited to get, get it onto someone else. Um, uh, and so she was proactive about trying to find subleasers and she actually had a, pe- a couple of people lined up and started engaging us about, all right, you want to meet with these people. And through that process, we just started thinking, is this the right route? You know, um, what could we do to keep the space, control the space, do what we want with the space and, and make it profitable, make at least make up the expense of the additional space. And the idea came back of an event space. We kind of toyed with it once upon a time. Why can't we do that here? and that was always we decided to do it just made a lot more sense than subleasing and and as i like to tell people a lot of times is when you find a building you can't control how big it is and we had decided that was our building and we had more space than we needed and it was just a matter of thinking what can we do with this space what that is viable for the business and the event space was the the natural kind of progression And thank goodness we made that progression. It's been a a vital part of our company. Much for being something that was not even discussed in the business plan, it has become a large part of our business.
1: What is the capacity of that event space and what sort of events are you holding there?
0: So the event space has a capacity of 95 people, which we find is actually kind of an interesting little niche in the crossroads. There's some really small event spaces in the crossroads. There's some really big event spaces in the crossroads. There's very few kind of in that range. Um, we're you know we're kind of a unique size event space additionally because we decided to kind of add this to our business model we we've also at several times um, allowed the entire building to be rented out and that increases capacity for events to 170 people so so between those two options you can either rent the evac event space but the front stays open to the public or you can rent the entire building and you have a very much larger occupancy we've had a wide variety of events we've had baby showers and wedding showers we've had full weddings, both ceremonies and receptions. Um, Probably the most common thing we do in the event space is rehearsal dinners are extremely popular. It's a great size space and just really convenient for that type of event. Rehearsal dinners are great. Birthday parties, really quite the gambit of events. And yeah, it's really it's a super flexible space. And also one of the advantages we had for it not being in our original business model, was we were not going into business to be an event space we were going into business to make products we were passionate about beer and coffee and sell those to as many people as possible when this business when the business model kind of adapted to having this event space added onto it really more so than a revenue stream we saw it as a way to get more people in to drink our beer and coffee um, because that was always our goal and so we structured the the rental fees of the event space where 75 percent of the the rental fee actually goes towards a bar tab. And so, you know, that is also a huge benefit for things like rehearsal dinners and whatnot, that, you know, your rental fees for your space are also paying for beverages. And so that I think is a big benefit for people looking for, to throw that type of event.
1: That's great. I love the kind of dual concept and the multi-purpose ways that Rochester can can be utilized. And I also want to ask, the name Rochester. Where exactly did that come from?
0: Yeah, so uh, little known fact. And uh, when we were fundraising, we were searching for a space. We actually did, were not Rochester at that point. We were, we were fundraising under another name. Actually, it was Hobnob Brewing and Roasting, and uh, we came up with that because you know Hobnob today is kind of viewed as like rubbing elbows or whatever. Um, but, you know, when you actually look back at the kind of the old English original original meaning of the term hobnob, it was mean, it meant to drink to one another's health. And we're like, oh, that's perfect. I mean, we are a company all about beverages. We're a company all about sitting down and sharing a coffee and sharing a beer. You know, that definition of hobnob embraces what we're trying to do, drinking to one, each other's health, coming together in communion and drinking together. Uh, community rather than drinking together. That was kind of a vital part of what we were trying to achieve. And so it was a great word, but then we kind of trademarked research and discovered that there was a winery that covered it for basically all alcohol and we had no real route to use it. By that point, we had already found our building and we're pushing forward in our crossroads location. And so we're kind of back to square one, for finding a name. And one of the hardest things about starting a business, at least for us was determining a name, uh, it took us a long time to agree on Hobnob, and then all of a sudden we had to do it all over again, and that was quite the process. We assumed we could do it in five days. I think it probably took us three weeks to finally come up with another name. And part of it was trademark kind of navigation. We were such an interesting business. We, you know, we have coffee, and we, uh, which is kind of associated with food. We have beer, we, which you know is kind of associated with wine. So we had to navigate a whole bunch of different trademark categories, um, not just one category. So. We literally just have lists of words that people have just been throwing out for one reason or another, and we'd narrow it down to 10 that we kind of like, and then we'd research trademark and cross out nine of them, and then we're like, is that one really the one we want? Um, So it was kind of a long process, but eventually Rochester made the list. Um, I think it was... Philip that brought it up, if I remember correctly, but I can't say that for sure. He was looking through kind of the uh, a book about the history of brewing in Kansas City, and he came across in the late 1800s there was a Rochester Brewing, and he noticed that it was on Washington Street, and our buildings was on Washington Street, and we discovered their facility was literally one block north of where we were going to start our business. And I'm like, oh, so cool! You know, there's and as we researched it more, it's a pretty historic brewery. It was you know very large. It was pretty reputable, and yeah, and it was in the literal neighborhood that we were starting our business. And so we got added to a list and as we whittled things, we got down to it and it just, it felt right for many reasons. Just, we, you know, just from a word standpoint, we liked the word, but additionally, it, it tied us into what we were trying to do. We were trying to tie ourselves into Kansas city. We were trying to, and it allowed us to kind of tie ourselves not only to the history of Kansas city, but the history of brewing in Kansas city. And not only the history of Kansas city, but the history of our neighborhood that we were going to be establishing ourselves in. And so we decided to just revive the name and uh, that's how we became Rochester Brew University.
1: That's great. I love being able to tie in sort of history of the area you guys are in and Kansas City has so much history, especially history in the alcohol industry. So I think that's so great that you were able to find this name and history and being able to tie it in with your own business. And aside from the struggle of picking a name for, for your business, what are some other struggles that you've had to deal with since becoming a business owner?
0: well every week seems to bring a new one but you know it, running a business is challenging it's also super rewarding but um it, it keeps you on your toes and then and each each phase has had different challenges you know um finding a location was a challenge and and not only from just finding a building like but finding a neighborhood that you want to kind of invest in your you know either whether you're purchasing or signing a lease you're committing several years of your life and the business's, the business's life to an area and so making that decision didn't come lightly for us. The construction was difficult. You know, this is a, the building we're in is over 100 years old. We, we knew going into it that who knows what we're going to run into. And as, as we joke with a lot of other breweries that open, um, it's kind of a rite of passage to say you're going to open at some point and then actually open three months later. <laughs> that just kind of happens with build out. Um, you never know what delays you're going to run into. And and we certainly did, you know, we, we really wanted to break that trend. We waited a long time to kind of announce the business. We kind of all kept it close to, you know, kind of secretive, um, not discussing it much with anyone because we wanted to make sure we were ready when we kind of announced that this was happening and we really thought we were in a position to do so because we you know we had a building we had a lease we had um, construction permits uh, we had our equipment we were like all right we are lined up like our contractor has a, a schedule uh, we're going to be open by this time we can go ahead and say hey rochester coming soon or you know spring of 2019 i think is what we announced and things happened. Um, part of that is construction delays. Part of that is, you know, pinching pennies. We were, you know, trying to, again, we had a building much larger than we anticipated, which meant more upfront cost and capital investment than we were anticipating. We went back and fundraised more money from, uh, added some other members to our group, um, to cover those costs. And then in order to kind of keep costs down, we were constantly kind of looking at items that we can take off the contractor's list and put on ourselves. So like, you know, my dad and I built the bar, uh, um, uh, and then, uh, my brother-in-law's father built the bar top and we assembled it, you know, my, my dad and I, and my mom built the wood wall, um, Philip and his father-in-law did a lot of the painting, uh, throughout the entire space, uh, David Bullcock, that I mentioned the other brewer and I sealed all the concrete floors. Like we were constantly looking for things that we could do to kind of navigate this financial road of <laughs> Uh, getting it done but also not spending all of our money prior to opening and that slowed us down and that's the trade-off is you know paying someone to do it will be faster but it's more expensive and you kind of have to decide which one's which and ultimately so we ended up being delayed we ended up serving coffee in july and full operations grand opening um in uh, late august so a uh, couple months after what we told people but again rite of passage. So that was a challenge, you know, navigating just the legal framework when you've never done it before, uh, creating um, operating agreements, establishing LLCs, getting all the right insurance, all the right permits, all the right licensing. If you've never done it before, it's just a learning experience. You have to find people with more knowledge than you and, and learn from them and trust in them and utilize them. And, and, and that's what we did. It, it was a challenge, um, but also one that we navigated pretty well, I think. Um, And then from operational standpoint, you know, especially in today's world, uh, staffing is always somewhat of a challenge. We have not really had the same like staffing issues that some of the other worlds seen, but especially in this, you know, ultimately we're in the service industry and the service industry has high turnover and you're constantly, you know, looking to add team members, evaluating your team members, et cetera, et cetera. We've always been blessed with a great team and that's one of our secrets to success, but it's a lot of work and something that when you're daydreaming about opening a brewery, you, you don't, you know, play in that daydream. Oh, and then I'm going to be looking for all these people to help me run this company and, and figuring out, you know, how to compensate them fairly and how that works into our business plan, et cetera, et cetera. So from an operational standpoint, that working with people is just always a challenge for one reason or another. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just reality. We're all humans and kind of learning how to work together and meet everybody's needs. And, and one person's different than another. And, you know, that's just something you don't think about when you're just daydreaming about opening a business. And, and really it really ends up taking up a lot of your time and energy. Um, that would be one of the larger challenges. And then, you know, the world changed, obviously, with COVID and supply issues became an issue, getting a hold of all the things we need um, ingredient wise, et cetera, or packaging wise. That became a new challenge. So that's, that's what I mean by it's kind of different by every week. It, you never know what your challenges are going to be until they, they confront you. And uh, we've certainly had our share, but we've also navigated them really well. And I think, I think one of the secrets to us navigating them as well as we have is, is the team we've built, you know, as I said, we've had great staff, like Philip and Phillip's never for this adventure, never opened a coffee shop before, before this adventure, I had never opened a brewery before, but the staff that we hired had experience in the industry that we didn't have. And You know, our willingness to learn from our staff rather than tell them what to do, I think, has been a big secret of our success. I, I have learned more about how to run this business we put together from the people we've hired than I did from my own intuition, and I think that's important. Having the humility to say you don't have, have all the answers and being willing to recognize when someone else does have the answers, even if maybe you know they're your employee, like someone that you're supposed to be responsible for and be able to have the answers for, sometimes they have the answers for you and just being able to recognize that and being willing to hear that I think is a, a big important thing for small businesses in particular. Additionally, our ownership group is just amazing. We've put together this great group. The, the three core people, as I said, are Philip, myself, and another individual, David Bullcock who was the guy I brewed that first beer with forever ago. And, and I I met him in college and we were really close friends and he has a great story about how he gets associated with Rochester as well. But in the short (laughs) to this point, you know, dividing and conquering like running this business by myself would be impossible. Like having those two guys to lean on is so important and vice versa. Like if you're thinking about starting a business, do it with people you trust and admire um, that's a big part of it and beyond them joe which i mentioned was that guy we talked to at the fourth of july party um, and the people he's put together i could name them all it's a pretty long list we have about 12 other people and they all kind of participate at their own way you know philip david and i are the hands-on people joe's the most active outside of that but you know another guy jeff phillips you know he bought a 3d printer and he made all of our uh, beer tap handles like everybody kind of contributes in their own way and it's really kind of been this magical kind of combination of this diverse and large group of people that wouldn't have gotten together for any other reason. But it's really a big secret of our success is one person's not trying to do it all. We have this team that we've kind of built and we all can kind of lean on each other when we need to.
1: Yeah, I think that's great advice for anyone who is looking to start a business to surround yourself with good people and innovative people and just being able to, you know, everyone thinks differently. So being able to rely on your strengths versus someone else's strengths and being able to come together to see a vision through, I think, is is really great. Obviously, you guys have had great success with that and being able to come together as a team and getting through the pandemic and just, you know, being able to to continue to thrive. So when you are not brewing beer, and running a business, what does life in Kansas City look like for you?
0: (laughs) Uh, Today, different than it did, you know, six years ago, I'm the father of two great kids. And so most of my time outside of Rochester is spent with uh, them and my wife, my wife, Amanda, and our two kids, uh, Kata, who's five right now, and our uh, little boy, Otto, who's two. And so they... (laughs) require a lot of attention and time more than than i give them sometimes i'm so busy with rochester sometimes um, i one of the other challenges i guess of running a business is it, it it can take you away from other things that are very important to you which are those two kiddos for sure so most of my life outside of rochester is uh with my family um you know prior to that prior to kind of that commitment so to speak um a few years back i you know i loved exploring the beer scene the the food scene i you know that's one of the things I love about Kansas City right now again it's kind of had this rebirth especially from when I was in high school and stuff there's just so many more people especially local people reinvesting in the city and there's so much new stuff constantly and now that I am constantly kind of committed to the home life so much more I feel like I'm always missing out I'm always behind on things I need to go out there and try um constantly hearing of new things I'm like I don't even know that existed I need to get out and get out of my my little bubble more often but yeah I, you know I love that I again I grew up in the Kansas City area so I am a, a big uh, Kansas City sports fan followed the Royals and the Chiefs my whole life and the whiz to the Wizards to <laughs> to sporting uh followed them and really excited about Casey Kern as well so I always keep tabs on that and, and sports in general. That's uh, one of my other hobbies, I guess. It's something that I can veg out on that isn't uh, the the stresses of small business or pr- parenthood, I guess.
1: What are some of your favorite places to eat in Kansas City?
0: Oh, man, uh, a lot of great options. I like all, well, not all, but a lot of Kansas City and uh, love barbecue. I actually just had some Arthur Ryan Bryant's brisket uh, just a couple hours ago for dinner. Um, i I love all the barbecue places in town. I hop around there a lot um, you know given where our business is I eat uh, probably more than I should of Lulu's which is uh, just uh, a couple blocks away uh, town topic as well love uh, good. Uh, quick burger from them. Yeah, I, I, as I said, I don't get out to kind of see, to experience some, some of the more local artisans as much as I like. Um, I live up north, so I'm also a big sucker for long boards, grilled wraps. If uh, anybody's not familiar with them, you should be. <laughs> uh, they are great, and uh, those are some of my favorites, I guess.
1: If there was anything you could change about Kansas City, what would it be?
0: It's hard to say. I, I love Kansas City, so you know, it's interesting when I went away to college, I didn't go far. I went to Manhattan, Kansas, to K-State. But in my head, when I left for college, I was like, I'm never coming back to Kansas City. Like, I'm getting out. And, and that kind of speaks to where Kansas City was at that point. As I said, it, it was a different place than it is today. And, but that was my mentality. And I went to school f- for a few years. And, um, and then, then uh, the recession hit. And there was a lot less opportunity coming out of school. And I had a couple options and the best one was back in Kansas city. And, and and so I took it and, and thank goodness I did like, um, I, I'm so happy I came back. Not necessarily just for Kansas City, but it's also where my family is, and I um, am very close to my family. And imagining, like you know, one of the other places I interviewed with was in New York City. And I was so excited about it. Oh, I'm getting, I'm big time. I'm making it to New York City. I'm going to be go work for an engineering firm in downtown Manhattan. It's going to be amazing. Thinking back on the life I've lived now since college and what it would have been then, I I had my priorities mixed up. I think, and uh, thank goodness that the the universe corrected me. I. I'm so happy I came back to Kansas City, partly because I think the, the kind of the re- re- rejuvenation of it over the last few years is because of, you know, similar things to what we're doing is locals reinvesting in their city rather than running away. And running away is a strong word, but taking their talents elsewhere. And, and I, I feel like I had that mentality coming out of high school was I'm going to improve myself and go somewhere better. But that was the wrong mentality. There Kansas City can be the better place if you Play the role in making it better. We have our issues. There's no doubt about that. You know, um, you know, we have a long history of issues in this city that. Predate our, you know, my life, and we are still experiencing those repercussions. And I would like to see them healed; those the wounds that that those past policies ha- were created. I, I would love to see those continue to be mended and healed. But I am so appreciative that I feel like our society is moving towards a point of recognition of those mistakes and and trying to right them and really coming together as a city. Like I often talk about uh, the first real sports success I experienced as a fan was, uh, was the Royals' first run to the World Series in 2014. And I remember just being in awe because it's just an experience I'd never had. Like, I felt like the entire city was doing the same thing at the same time. I was like, this is so cool. We're all connected without even realizing it. Like probably 80% of the TVs in the city are tuned into the same thing. And we're all experiencing the same emotion at the same time. And it was just such a cool thought and cool experience. And I loved it. And, and, And it wasn't just that moment, but kind of the series of coming back to Kansas City, realizing my family's here, my life's here, my history's here, and I just, fell in love with the city for what it is rather than what I thought it was, so to speak, and what it could be, and so it's hard for me to say what still needs to change other than just people continue to invest in it, like, you know, and I think we've come a long way. There's such a Kansas City pride now, and uh, I'm really proud to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, I'm very similar. I grew up in suburbs of Kansas, went to KU, moved back here after graduating, which was not my initial plan. I always wanted to moved to Chicago, moved to a bigger city, experienced the big city life. And I'm very similar to you in that I came back and sort of threw myself into the city. I sort of the joke, my brother and I still talk about this. I used to think the plaza was downtown just based off where I grew up. When people talked about downtown Kansas City, I would have put my life's money on that the plaza was downtown. And it really took me, getting out of my comfort zone and just exploring to realize how little I've actually, I knew about Kansas city growing up. I grew up in such a bubble, such a stick going the same places all the time. And so ever since moving back here, I have just learned to continue to love the city because of pushing myself and pushing the boundaries and finding new places. And I think it's continuously come up even on this podcast with other Guess I've had on of how exciting it is to be in Kansas city right now to see where we are now based on 10 years ago versus all the new things coming and where are we going to be in five years and 10 years. And I think it's really cool to be in this place right now. And especially with everyone else feeling the same way that hopefully feeling the same way that it's a, it's just a cool time to be in a city that's in the, in the midst of transitioning for the better.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. It, it It's a special city. And I always, I always refer to it as a, like a, you know, a little big city and you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a big city. It really is. But like you're constantly like meeting someone that knows someone else that you know, and you're like, how the heck does this have this kind of interaction? It's because it can feel small like that. it really has this great kind of, unity and community feel to it currently that it's hard to probably duplicate and hard to pin down how we got here but thank goodness we have it it's it's a special town right now
1: and so with rochester do you have anything new coming down the pipeline any beers that you're currently working on any new seasonal coffee drinks that philip is working on what sort of coming up anything that people can look forward to
0: yeah so we we just released our summer coffee menu. so we rotate seasonal coffee drinks every every season um four times a year. So we just have our, our summer ones out, which are some great ones. Uh, we we also kind of put more of a focus on kind of doing something other than just lattes like uh, you know lattes are the the bread and butter of the coffee industry. Um, but uh, they're not always the most desirable thing in the summer heat. So, you know, we have like Palmer's and, and uh, house-made sodas and, and stuff like that, more, more summer-centric drinks that I've really enjoyed and I think are great options for this time of year. Uh, beer-wise, we're constantly brewing different things. Um, you, know, you know, we, uh, we have a, a Mexican uh, lager on its way, which is a great summer beer. We have uh, a Sour Shandy, which is uh, basically a blend of our sour beer and, and lemonade that will be uh, a few weeks out. Um, again, just great summer beers. You don't, we, we love our coffee style. It's one of the things we focus on being someone that roasts coffee and brew beer in-house. But that's not necessarily what you want to drink in the middle of a 100 degree day in Kansas City, so kind of focusing on more uh, uh, seasonal specific options uh, in on both sides of the business. Additionally, kind of the, the biggest thing we have going on, which we've we've kind of announced through social media, but it's very much in a transitional phases. We're working on uh, opening a second location um, in in the Parkville area. Um, we are currently working with the owner of In Cahoots Coffee Shop out there. Um, and uh, kind of partnering with him to transition to a transitional period, just kind of keep the doors open and continue to operate while we kind of go through the process of acquiring the building. And eventually we're going to turn that into a second Rochester location um, and bring our full coffee, our full food and our full and. Most of our beer options will have a little bit a few fewer taps up there than we do in our downtown location. But but that's really exciting. Obviously, we're extremely excited for that. It allows us to kind of restructure our business a little bit. Someone I've mentioned a few times, it allows David to go from uh, right now, he's just kind of a part-time, but very important part of Rochester. He has a full-time job, and he's hoping to uh, turn that into um, Rochester being his full-time job, and this would be an opportunity to allow him to do so, and that's very exciting for all of us. But just having that location, it allows us to move a lot of other things around, and allows us to kind of be more creative and more productive. Uh, in addition to serving multiple communities, we're,
1: we're really excited about that prospect. Congratulations on opening a second location! That's that's Thank very you. exciting. I have a friend who just moved from the Waldo area, close to Parkville, so she will be very excited that there's a new coffee shop that will be yes. that will be close to her. And in a new brewery for her husband as well. He'll be very excited. <laughs> yes. And so you mentioned social media. So for anyone who wants to follow Rochester on social media and website, where can everyone find find Rochester? Yes,
0: yeah, so our website is uh, rochesterkc.com. Um, social media, we're uh, on Facebook with, at Rochester KC. Uh, social, sorry, Instagram, I think it's Rochester, Kansas city. I think we had to actually spell it out to get that domain Yeah, and Twitter's Rochester, Casey. So.
1: Awesome. Well, yeah, everyone should definitely follow you guys on social media and especially with the second location coming up. I'm sure I'm guessing Instagram is probably the best place to get updates of any announcement of official opening dates or anything like that, as well as seasonal drinks and anything you guys uh, have have going on.
0: Yes, Instagram is a great choice. I, you know, we try to stay very active on both Instagram and Facebook. Are probably where we're most active. Both of those are great places to follow us to get keep up to date on all the latest Rochester news.
1: Perfect. Well, Marshall, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this has been great. I am definitely needing to get back to Rochester. I've been once for coffee and once for beer. If I look, think back, you know, time has kind of since the pandemic. It's hard to like figure out timing of anything, but I think I must have gone pretty close to opening week because it was pre COVID. So I'm definitely needing to, to get back out there. But thank you again so much for joining me. Listeners can follow you on social media and they can also, as always, follow me at Casey by Sari. And we will see you next week.
0: Casey confidential
1: Casey's confidential Yay Ooh. Kansas
0: City's best Ooh Casey confidential mm. School confidential